Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This episode is kindly sponsored by Okta Customer Identity Management. If you're transforming into a digital platform and are facing identity management challenges, listen closely now, because Okta offers the market-leading solution to help you make identity and access management work as a service. A platform that offers endless ways to connect with your employees and customers. Get support for your most important customer-facing initiatives. Integrate identity and access into every app and create secure and engaging experiences in no time by outsourcing workforce or customer identity management to Okta. Get started in 15 minutes and test IAM or CM as a service. Create frictionless registrations and login experiences for your applications and make identity the foundation for your zero-trust strategy and enable access for all users regardless of their location, device or network. Visit alphalist.com slash Okta to try it out. In an upcoming episode, I talk to Zagnik Nandy, Okta CTO about everything identity management. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. And uh, today with me is Alessia Braga. Um, she is the CTO of Smart Recruiters. Smart Recruiters is an ATS, an applicant tracking system. I hope I got it right or described it right. It is, I think it's a unicorn. Like a lot of companies are turning into unicorns very quickly these days. Um, I just saw statistics yesterday that it's kind of crazy this year. They collected uh, 225 million in funding. And Alessia, did I did I forget anything that you might want to want to add on that? No, I think you got that right. And and yes, market is uh, it's extremely crazy right now. There's a lot of nice companies uh, achieving unicorn, and uh, we. Uh, Proud to join the club um, since the last uh, funding round. Okay, uh, maybe we start a bit earlier. Um, so typically, I look at at my guests' uh, nerd journey or nerd path. What is yours? How did you get into that? Oh, I think it kind of started really, really early for me. I was uh, fortunate enough to introduce some kind of STEM really, really early in my life. Uh, my mom used to teach computer science in school. And um, when I was six, I kind of stayed with her after my whatever those first graders do um, and started uh, basically coding first to show off. And then I started enjoying that. So um Obviously not production ready, but I got uh, introduced to a computer and some basic, visual basic uh, when I was six and uh, so started. Okay, that's easy. And then how, how did it evolve from visual basic? I mean, did you, did you study IT or what did you do? 
Yeah, I, I studied applied math um, and computer science uh, with this kind of goal in mind um, that maybe computer science is not going to work purely. So I needed a bit of a AI touch. At that point, AI was a bit more, um, I don't know, generic. There's a whole bunch of models and mathematics that, um, and we didn't have enough good computing power to actually execute on those. So I kind of studied AI when it was, wasn't cool, uh, so to say. Um, so that was pretty clear for me what I want to do. Um, and I started working really early as well. So I kind of tend to be maybe like as many engineers, uh, I'm driven by sort of boredom, um, or being lazy to do certain things multiple times. So I'd rather invest and build a solution that will scale and just redo the same components. And so I started experimenting, uh, when I was a student and, uh, you know, doing any sorts of computer labs. Um, of creating a system that will test a computer lab automatically so I don't have to redo it and test it myself. So that was kind of always a curiosity driven, but with a solution in mind that I don't have to do certain things twice. Um, yeah, and that evolved uh, pretty much first uh, into kind of web development of experimenting, building little websites either for my school or uh, whatever I was part of. Um, then I got a job in um in one outsourcing company or augmented uh engineering so to say i always worked with uh, kind of american clients or um, any other client in in europe and then moved to management eventually so that's kind of kind of how i got there how, how was that like what was the tipping point when you decided okay i want to go to 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 management i want to become a manager yeah, that's that was interesting uh, decision for me. Um, so I uh, kind of grew up uh, in the technology of PHP. So I started coding in PHP. Um, I quickly grew to a senior engineer, um, and then I felt like I got to the point I either go and learn another technology, uh, and I tried that. So I moved a bit on Java, but then it felt kind of of the same. And another direction for me was okay, I either continue on a different technology or try leading teams. Um, and that's what I took and I kind of understood that I'm, I'm enjoying this and I'm, I'm good at it. Um, and then it evolved from the team to multiple teams and so on and so forth. Um, but it, it was fairly early in my career. I think I was, I don't know, maybe 20. So from, from the time of directly coding, I had maybe four years experience as I started working when I was 16. And and you also worked for Google, if I get it right, like uh, in, in yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Um, I worked for Google Cloud, so in the cloud division, that was uh, a really good opportunity to kind of go back to the roots, and it was a mix of uh, IC role and consulting role, uh, working with engineers, working with SRE. Uh, it was a cool, cool journey, and I think it uh, it shaped me as a leader later on. Um, and now and how, how I lead and what I value. Um, so yeah, I did that too. Okay. Okay. Um, and how did you stumble into smart recruiters? Is that, did you originally act as a co-founder or did you join at a certain time or? So I joined smart recruiters like, um, almost two years ago. Um, I was recruited. I'm the first CTO. So no, I'm not, I'm not a member of the founding team. Um, the company is on the market for about 10 years, changed a little bit in terms of the solution. 
Um, and I was uh, recruited uh, by a recruiter. At, at that time, I had a job. I was pretty happy where I was in a CTO role, but uh, smart recruiters offered kind of a unique possibility to try CTPO role. So um, despite the fact that I, I have a title of a CTO also on product, um, and for me, that was kind of the missing component of how can you actually unlock the potential of the whole team together, uh, controlling not only how you build, but also what and why. Um, so that was kind of a driving factor for me. And do you think, like it's, it's a bit philosophical potentially, but do you think that um, like all eggs in one basket um, for such a product is, is, a, is a good idea? I mean, I guess you do because you, you do it every day. Uh, but uh, like I sometimes think that those moments of, of friction um, between CPO and CTO are sometimes good. Do you somehow um, have that friction in your mind maybe every once in a while or um, how do you deal yeah, with that? I, I, I guess I guess friction is always good. It's, it's a driving force, so to say, off of the innovation and uh, as long as it's respectful and you understand why. Um, so for me, it's actually a good thing to have both together, but then you also need to have a um, like right mindset to do this job right. Uh, because yes, it can quickly tip towards either technology or product or whatever is more popular these days. So maybe uh, if you think about the leaders, there are multiple types of CTOs, right? It's quite different to be a CTO of, a, I don't know, 15 uh, developers and a kind of a small small startup that moves really, really fast um, versus being a CTO of the company that has, I don't know, 600 engineers. Um, the same here, right? So if you think about CTO plus CPO, it's just a different kind of leadership that you're required. Um, and I try to foster this uh, kind of bottom-up uh, mindset from VP engineering, VP product, so they come uh, uh, with some sort of little argument in mind or how can we get to the best solution that I'm basically a tiebreaker. So there is, there is a certain, certain amount of, of conflict. So it's not very top down and authoritarian. Yeah. I, I think like if the origin organization is big enough, um, it, it is potentially a good thing to have. Uh, but for small organizations, sometimes I feel that might be, might, might be, Yeah, a, a conflict in, in, in goals uh, every once in a while for uh, a CPTO, right? Yeah, I think I think it can go either way, right? And, and it's not about extremes. So if you have uh, two leaders that are passionate about their own goals, but then an organization doesn't support them to align or um, there is no kind of a synergy between those two leaders, it can become ugly quite quickly. Um, and the same time, there's lack of conflict, then you're probably not pushing this uh, hard enough. And if you think about kind of any sort of methodology, either uh, agile transformation or SRE, it's always about finding ways how to balance this together, how to find a right contract, how both things work together. And then you have a leader that understands those sides, then um, I think you're going to be good. Okay. And um, how, like, as, as you, Coming from a CTO perspective to the CPTO, how did you handle product then? Um, is it, did you get into like things like product discovery yourself? Um, did you just like lead your way through or how did you, how, how do you see that? Like how deep do you have to be in product if you are a CPTO? 
from a CTO's perspective? Well, I am kind of the person that um, I wouldn't just tell people what to do. Uh, I, I would like to invest and, and and figure out the structure. So I'm, I'm kind of not needed uh, into and day-to-day decisions. It was a learning curve for sure. I, I had a head of product. Um, at that point, when I joined, the head of product was in San Francisco. So I'm based in Berlin. Nine hours of difference doesn't really help. Um, but at the same time, uh, 60% of our customers are in US. So we have to be global and we have to kind of stay global. Um, we also had to change the ways how we build product. Uh, while we are staying agile, uh, there is always like a room t- for improvement in a way of how you do discovery, exactly what you mentioned. So ultimately, uh, when the head of product that we had decided to move on, um, I started drafting a job description, a scorecard of a different profile. And I managed to get that uh, new VP product on board uh, with a completely different mindset in a way how we build product and that drove the transformation further. Um, it took about six, seven months to set it uh, in stone. Um, and it, as you know, like transformation, it's always painful. It's always process. Uh, and I think we're we're on the way of solving that. But uh, it, it was a pretty hard job to do. And there was a lot of hands-on and a lot of even writing requirements and, and aligning and with different with customers, with stakeholders internally, how to do those things, a lot of kind of evangelism. Uh, and I continue to do so. It's just... Um, I'm more in the supporting role and um, making sure that uh, my leaders get kind of the stage to drive those changes and I'm here to help. Okay, okay. Um, Maybe we talk a bit about smart recruiters and recruiting in general. Um, uh, So I guess you have like quite quite good insights as you uh, see a lot of data flowing through your system. But first of all, I want to understand, like if if I look at such a a solution, um, like I would compare it like it's a CRM for for recruiting, right? Um, is that is that correct? Well, we also have a CRM. It's much more than that. So uh, I didn't quite correct you before uh, of thinking about like as an ATS. Yes, we're in TS, but we are more than that. So we think about it as all of the tools that you need to manage your recruitment end to end, and it starts with um, kind of any strategy that you might have to attract talent. Uh, right, so employer branding. How does your uh, career page look like? How do you engage with candidates? Um, and again, like thinking about different type of candidates as well. Um, it starts also kind of building the strategy, and then there's also a CRM with your candidates. If you think about candidates that you're after, like engineers, and uh, we are uh, on the CTO podcast, so talking about developers and attracting top talent. Uh, CRM there is more important because you kind of go after people more um, and try to nurture them and figure out if if this didn't work out for this particular job, I'd like to hire that person because that person was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is also CRM component. But then there is also kind of the selection and hiring process, which right now it's a part of the ATS that goes then further into offer, offer management, um, digital signature, integration with a broader system and then up to onboarding and how to make the person successful uh, at their first 30, 90 days. Um, so it's, it's a pretty big system. Okay. So really like an end-to-end recruiting solution, essentially. Um, exactly. Yeah. And um, like, so I can't really compare it to an Excel spreadsheet or something. Uh, I, I understand that and respect that. It would also be um, like maybe... Um, a bit funny if uh, 
something that compares to an Excel spreadsheet would be worth one billion. Um, but uh, I want to understand, like, what is the the hard thing about smart recruiters, like product wise, tech wise? What is what makes it like a a hard thing to do uh, to 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 build such a platform? Mm. So we we play in kind of an enterprise market, and we serve about like four thousand. Uh, enterprise customers uh, worldwide. And uh, those are really large, right? So like well, bigger customers are companies like Bosch or LinkedIn uh, that recently went live, um, Skechers, Rituals. Uh, so there's um, a pretty large portfolio. And if you think about the difficulty of um, rolling out a system like that to bigger companies, you need to stay secure, compliant, you need to be platform, you need to be um, a set of APIs in the marketplace on how to actually integrate into a life cycle of the company of that scale, but then also provide with any possible um, coverage around privacy uh, and scale. So if we look at the kind of the markets right now where we play, um, there are not a lot of companies that have this somewhat opinionated approach, uh, kind of UX uh, approach, um, the consumer feel of uh, that that will delight kind of hiring teams and hiring managers and those who actually run the interview and also have that enterprise scale. So what we try to combine here is how do we bring those two together? Um, having a solid architecture, ability to serve large clients, um, APIs, um, and throttling limits that support that. Then also kind of rounded up security. And on another side, uh, this kind of consumer feel in terms of how you use the product and configurability that will delight actual end users and not those who, who pay for the system. Um, and we're kind of uniquely positioned there because there are not a lot of companies uh, in, in our space that do that. Okay. Mm, and how did your product and hiring change in, in the last year or in the last two years? I, I guess a lot. I mean, with the pandemic around, um, but, but, but how precisely? Uh, you mean like the yeah? What um, what what changed? I mean, did did your product change due to COVID? Because uh, like I don't know, remote interviews were kind of kind of really uh, getting more and more important. Um, and 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 the market, yeah. Um, how how did the market evolve from your perspective? Being like, or oh, more more focusing on on maybe remote work, um, salaries exploding partly. Um, I, I know that's yeah. a very broad question. So maybe we start yeah, with the product. So uh, so, yeah, I think uh, like we always try to work it out with our customers and we do see the trends of what's going on. And um, on one side and the explosion on the market and a lot of different players of getting investment and growth that leads towards mass hiring events. So one of the data points that we've seen that uh, amount of posting, posted jobs uh, months over months been growing 70% on our platform uh, on average. So per company. Uh, so as you can imagine, 70% for every user or for every customer that we have, they've been posting 70% more jobs uh, per month. So it's almost double. Um, so that is crazy. So we, we started seeing like a huge amount of applicants and a huge amount of jobs. So obviously thinking about the problems to solve here, if tomorrow you post a job and it gets 1,000 applicants, what are you going to do with them? You cannot manually screen 1,000 applications. So the needs for technology um, became quite evident that we need to invest in AI and some sort of 
discovery process of what you have in your pipeline. What are the kind of best best traits here? And then that's that's kind of just on the surface of recruiter productivity. Um, so also invested in uh, acquiring a company uh, also here in Berlin, um, JobPal. So now it's it's a smart pal and it's part of the solution uh, for us. So it allows for mass hiring and kind of engaging candidates via chat. So you don't have to have a lengthy interview and process, lengthy applying process, but you can just put your phone number and your details and it will help you to surf up the jobs that uh, might be fit for you. Um, so that was another investment that we made. And it's a lot of components around collaboration. Like you, you're right, like the re- uh, remote hiring changed and also remote onboarding is also one of those things that, that was also top of mind for us. Like how do we go uh, to completely remote um, and maybe we were kind of privileged uh, smart recruiters because we're already distributed company. We were remote to each other, but um, it was still a learning curve and how you like completely stay at home and work with kids and how you be as flexible as possible and how to do video interviews and do you do assessments or don't you do assessments? So there's like a need of constantly integrating with other providers and make sure the integration is seamless. So that's kind of where I was uh, our core focus on um, on the products been last year, and we continue to evolve that, right? So there's also parts of reporting and visibility. You, since you're not with your colleagues in the same office day to day, you can just walk to the desk and ask things. So the accessibility for data becomes more important as well. So people can pull the report as they want to, whenever they want to. Um, so those are kind of like key drivers that we had. And, um, what about what about third party integrations on your platform? So I guess also tools like I don't know Codility, like coding tests and others, are are integrated with you, um, or you maybe have your own solution. Uh, did that become more important, or is that very important for you yourself? I mean, you also hire lo- a lot of tech people. Do you do you do such tests, or how is your overall process? How did your process change um, also due to COVID? Um, we did several iterations on our process. So let me address the first question. Uh, we are an open platform. We have a marketplace. We work with our partners um, and we encourage them to integrate with us. We recently relaunched our developer portal. So we keep our public API up to date um, and keep engaging with uh, with partners and integrate with them directly. Um, and we, we even consider this as our selling point. Uh, so if you get smart recruiters, you don't just get us. You also get a set of partners on marketplace that you can integrate with one click. Um, so that's the part of the first uh, question. To the second part, in terms of how our, uh, our process evolved, um, we did multiple tests and we started like as everybody. Uh, we had a coding test task and then we'll review that and we made sure that we'll come back to candidates and explain uh, what we saw and what would, what would be the feedback. So it was quite lengthy and um, I think it took us about five weeks of time to hire uh, for an engineers. Um, now with uh, our recent fundraise, um, I have a goal of hiring about 200 engineers in the next 18 months. Um, that obviously cannot scale anymore. So what we recently did, we actually killed coding task um, this week. Um, and we're moving t- towards more streamlined way of defining a scorecard for every job um, within the engineering to kind of um, identify leveling of what we would expect for every level what are the salary bands for every level? Uh, what are the interviewers should be focusing on on every particular screen? And we replaced a kind of coding task with pair programming. As we think that um, 
it was kind of a duplicated effort uh, also for candidates of investing into coding tasks. And we kind of aim to shorten our time to hire to two and a half weeks. Um, that's what my team is rallying, rallying around right now. And are you hiring in Berlin or are you uh, like hiring everywhere? We're hiring in Berlin and in Krakow. So um, kind of my engineering team is spread between Berlin and, and Krakow. So we also remote friendly. Uh, so when we decided not to go completely back to the office, um, even after the major reopening. So we anticipated people going to be excited to meet each other face to face. And we're totally fine with that. Um, but we decided to kind of stay uh, flexible and give people a choice. However, we want to hire around the same time zone to keep people productive so they can actually communicate with each other. And if it needs to be, go to um, either local office or meet in one of our hubs. Um, yeah. I think some people also changed their lives due to COVID and, I don't know, bought a house somewhere uh, in the green uh, nature outside of the city. Um, and kind of, I I, 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 I I think there's something like like phono, like fear of normal for for some people that they have to go back to the office um, and and can't work from home anymore. Um, do you see that as well? Or I think right now, at least what I'm hearing from the team, they actually like to be at home, uh, but it's been way too long. Uh, and for some of of our people, it's also been not only working from home but working with kids from home. Uh, so it's not just uh, like handling what are you dialing in into and the constant video chats and kind of figuring out how your day is going to look like, but also educating kids because school is closed or daycare is not working. Uh, so we don't see much of like, I bought a house, I'm afraid to to go back. And maybe it's just because we were quite proactive and said, you know what, you don't have to if you don't want to, but be ready to at least show up at the office. I don't know, maybe once a week or once in two weeks. Um, so stay in the same country kind of, right. Um, so we don't see a lot of anxiety, uh, of people of going back, actually a lot of excitement and, and questions like, when can we go back to the office, see people collaborate, um, and kind of have any sort of workshops. I think there's just this need of seeing normality. Um, and it's, it's becoming quite surreal. Like we had a, another, um, workshop in the office and for me it felt like i had a business trip like I, i met to see people in real life and it felt like i flew somewhere although i just walked to the office so um i guess uh, there's a lot of challenges with uh, coming back to normality i don't know fear or excitement but uh, there's definitely something This episode is proudly presented by Dell Technologies. They are a team of experts that helps you solving all your IT-related challenges and IT needs in your daily business and consult you in choosing the right end-to-end -end IT solutions or products. They offer IT technology solutions for companies of any size, tailored to their needs and have a huge product portfolio with IT solutions and know-how. They can help CTOs through providing end-to-end -end IT solutions, be it laptops, PCs, workstations, or server storage, cloud, and IoT solutions or financing. If you want to know more, please check the show notes to get a link. In your LinkedIn profile, um, the header states, ask me about the diversity hiring blueprint. I don't want to ask you about that blueprint now, but maybe later. Uh, I wanted to step back to, to recruiting once more and ask you for your top three hiring tips 
for tech people. Um, I know that it's, um, it's hard, but I, I guess like um, I once realized that how important it is to, for example, um, have someone who's really leading the process um, in, in early stage companies and things like that. So always be on time or something like that. Just three tips uh, that you think are, are good to know. Oh, I don't know if it's real. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to, uh, to share some, I don't know, maybe my thoughts, um, on it. I think right now, everybody wants to compete for talent. Um, everybody's hiring, or at least in my network, everybody's hiring and it's, it's top of mind, right? So and if you think about it, um, the, the weeks that you don't get the right talent on board is costing you money basically as a business. Um, so you need to take it seriously. You need to understand what you're searching for. You need to take it as a business priority and uh, you need to come to the candidates on time with the right feedback. Um, and that was part of the reasons why we wanted to shorten our recruitment cycle um, because people who are searching for a job and top talent, they'll get multiple offers tomorrow. And if you're not the first, then you might lose on the best talent. So that's kind of one of the... Um, maybe learnings for me or top tips, like really take care of, of this time to hire and how long do you take to respond um, and um, take it seriously. Another one as part of the recruitment as well is do provide feedback uh, to people. If you think about um, another data point, right? Uh, it takes about 200 applications for an average person to get one invite to the interview. So if you think about uh, what's on the other side of people who are applying, um, especially if they're not unicorns and being directly recruited by uh, recruiters, but they actually apply to your jobs, um, they only get maybe one answer and about 50% don't even get an answer. So even rejection email, a thoughtful rejection email, it removes this kind of black hole of not knowing what's going on, where you stand. Um, so please respond to your candidates, um, as well. Like if it's, even if it's a no, or uh, someone didn't pass a task, or if, especially if someone invested and made a coding task for you, just think about someone probably spends three to eight hours of writing that, um, they do deserve an answer if something to improve or, uh, what to do next. So that's probably a tip number two. We could talk about diversity in terms of tip number three and kind of maybe, uh, improve your sourcing, right? Um, so from this perspective, I guess that's more of a of an ask of taking it this seriously. And as me being a, a woman in tech, I think I would appreciate that if uh, at the early stage, in a sense of um, when you apply and how you're being treated um, when you're beginning your career. So um, my kind of ask for leadership would be to take diversity programs seriously and invest in sourcing um, and also kind of defining the scorecard of what you're looking for to fight the bias. Um, that's probably number three. And like from my perspective, it's always hard, like especially if you aim for 50-50 in engineering to, to, to get the right talent uh, on board, like the right female, right amount of female talent, for example. Um, do you see that differently or is it um, is it just that you first have to go through that 
mind change to take it seriously and then try to do as best as you can? Or how do you see that? Oh, diversity, it's a, it's a broader issue. It's not just gender, right? It, it's, it's, it's religion. It's uh, creating an environment of for underrepresented people to feel safe. Uh, to be able to join that. So there's definitely an element of creating a culture uh, of inclusivity. And so people are comfortable um, talking about their issues and bringing this up safely without kind of being afraid of losing their job. So that part definitely needs to happen. It's it's a longer change. And uh, I think for us as leaders, that's kind of our responsibility to create this environment and make sure that it's fostered um, and certain things are not okay. And in order to create that environment, you kind of need a commitment from leadership team of saying, no, it's not okay. And it kind of starts with the CEO, um, but not only CEO, because it's also not just one person job. You can have amazing processes, um, you can have amazing statements, but if your uh, teams and your managers do not believe in that and you know don't follow, that it's also not going to work. Mm. Um, now, in terms of um, kind of uh, popular or unpopular opinion, should there be a, a, a goal for diversity? Uh, I, I believe it sh there should be. Now, um, it needs to be achievable, right? So from the perspective of what can we do uh, in this next six months to make it better? And I think just setting 50% needs to be female, it's probably not right. Um, and all of the companies are different and they have different challenges. That's part of the reason why we have this diversity hiring blueprint and toolkit uh, in a sense of assessing where you are, um, what challenges do you have, and then putting measures in place how to even understand what are you dealing with. Like, is it the amount of candidates that you're not getting in? Is it your selection process that is biased? Or is it your culture that you cannot actually retain this kind of talent? Um, and all of them come with the different challenges and different goals in mind. And based on what you learn, you can build kind of the uh, uh, your project plan or to-do list um, for the next certain amount of time. But you always need to stay on top of that because mm. it's not just a one-off thing that, you know, you tick it off and you forgot it and you're done. It's kind of the, a journey to take. And then you keep getting better, hopefully, and and, and progressing and on your diversity journey. Yeah, it's it's in a way, it's often a mind shift, a shift that has to start at leadership level, right? Um, just one very a funny example because it's um, like it's 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 my own. I remember me like let's say ten years ago, not having a kid at home. I was always a bit skeptic and um, pissed when someone said, "Okay, I have to go to the doctor with my daughter or something." And I, I, I just couldn't understand it, right? Um, and um, sometimes you have to go through this yourself to like then, um, yeah, understand it and 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 um, and change that. Um, it's like I did when I had a kid. Um, I like for the first time really understood what it what it means and uh, how how serious it is. Um, and that this doesn't mean that someone is working less. Um, like a, a bit of a, an awkward example, but um, it's no, it's it's, it's actually amazing, and uh, and thank you for sharing that. I don't think there are a lot of people that will be confident enough about themselves of sharing. Yeah, I actually learned something, um, and it's absolutely fine not knowing the challenges of others. But I think we should all kind of strive towards understanding what are the challenges on another side, and kind of keep the open mind of learning and 
I know my story. I know what I'm dealing with, but like there's so many examples that I do not know and they have different challenges. So I guess like if you stay open to that kind of changing of your mindset of an understanding of others, um, in my view, that's kind of what we all should strive to do. So, so how much discrimination get, get, did you get throughout your career? Oh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dwell on that. Um, I think every of those things kind of teach you a little bit and I'm kind of privileged enough right now to say, Hey, I can pick my employer. Um, and I like, when I go and, and interview with any particular company, I really interview them too. Um, there was, uh, I think at the beginning of my career, I did, um, I did a coding task and the interviewer didn't believe that I did it. And he thought that it was my boyfriend. Um, and he was really adamant about it. Um, so yeah, I, there was that, that was at the beginning, but again, there are a lot of bad apples. Um, the same with, uh, interviewing for leadership roles. Uh, I think we have a lot to learn. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm privileged enough right now to be able to interview the other side as well. And I just avoid those kind of employers myself, but there are other women or people of color that don't get to choose. So, mm. and mm. they need a job and they just have to live with it. Mm. But I, I think the, I think, th I think the world also changed a bit, um, uh, like looking at diversity and how important it, it became, um, in so many companies and, um, Yeah, especially looking at women in tech, um, I think that was kind of a, um, a helpful topic for some companies as well. And they just jumped on it. But I think like bottom line, it's a good thing that they did, right? Um, like whoever decides even like at the beginning, maybe for, I don't know, PR reasons, but later on they realize, okay, this is serious. This makes sense. Um, like whoever jumps on it um, will change the world a little bit, right? Yeah, I think um, we, we we started talking about it. That's that's definitely a step forward. Uh, I think this kind of um, getting more and more international employers, mixing cultures, that makes it also evident. So I think we improved. There's also a long way to go. Um, also within this uh, diversity hiring blueprint, uh, we surveyed a lot of people uh, from also from underrepresented communities. And uh, whooping 50% of people from underrepresented communities still feel that them coming from a minority uh, limits their chances to get a career. Um, that's bad. So it's not just uh, women in leadership or women in tech. It's kind of overall, it's a pretty bad. It's, it's a humanity issue um, from this perspective. And like from my personal experience being in Germany, Uh, and working for an American company, I think um, in U.S. they are a little bit ahead in terms of talking about those issues and in a very different level. Uh, where in Germany we're a little bit slower um, on recognizing that, um, but it is what it is. So I think uh, we need to continue talking about it, and hopefully the world will change. I think it it does. Yeah, um, it just mm -hmm. needs like every once in a while it needs a little a little push. Like I mean. I also, like, again, example from myself, I didn't have any female guests for a while in the podcast. And um, that was also because I didn't put too much energy in it um, or enough energy maybe um, to really, really find someone. And it's, it is obviously not 50-50 in, in, in the CTO world. Um, and you have to um, 
kick yourself in the butt every once in a while and um, arrange something. But um, yeah, uh, that has to be done, right? I don't want to want to. Um, I don't know, congratulate myself or anything. Um, I would rather want to want to blame myself for not doing it for for such a long time. Um, maybe um, one thing um, that um, I'm, I'm missing for 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 now in in your blueprint is um, how do I as a leader um, get rid of biases in hiring? Is there any tip you can you can you can give me how how I can 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 ignore my biases or maybe even realize that I have a bias at a at a certain in a certain moment. Uh, so I think um, so. There are two questions there, right? So first, um, it's probably how to you cannot get rid of bias. That's just a myth. Um, what you can do, you can fight it. You can acknowledge that you have one, and every time you make a decision, you just pause and don't let your biases drive your decisions. Um, and that's beyond hiring. It's kind of in any kind of decision making. There are a whole bunch of tools that that you can use, and um, that's actually um, was a very good learning uh, for me from Google because they uh, introduced this uh, bias busting program that uh, you can assess yourself of how you think about certain things, be it race, gender, or whatever else, uh, on onboarding. And then it's a kind of a teaser for you to kind of understand how you actually tick and how you make your own decisions. And then it's being uh, kind of baked into hiring, training, and stuff like that. Um, so in order to understand what biases you have and how you deal with them, I would recommend to do any sort of bias busting training just to understand yourself better off what shaped you and we all grew up with it. It's it's perfectly fine. Um, your surroundings shape you. If you're not introduced um, to a lot of queer people, you have you don't know. And if you don't know, you tend to discriminate or like tend towards levitate towards something that you actually know. Um, now in recruiting, uh, the tip there it, it's actually for every job to create a scorecard. So you have uh, you have a job. You think about what would a successful candidate look like what kind of business outcomes you would expect from this candidate, and you write it down, right? So what are you actually evaluating for? Um, and then for every interview, you fill out the scorecard. So basically, you um, think about upfront of what you're looking for in the candidate, and then put your feedback towards the scorecard and not what you think personally about that candidate. Um, and if you have um, that done for the whole panel with cards down, right? So like, I'm submitting feedback, and, and you submitting feedback and you do not know what I put in there, you just put yourself and you're not being led by others. Um, those are two things that you can do within recruiting really, really fast within the tools that um, that we offer or any other software does. Okay, that's a good tip, actually, um, that, mm -hmm. that scorecard. Would you also recommend, um, like every once in a while in startups, you have that opportunistic hiring. Um, would you recommend to interview more than three candidates per job or something you, you, you think is a good number or? Well, sometimes if you really know the person and you know your scorecard and you got this amazing candidate that happened to apply first and the whole team agreed that this is the best candidate for the job, then why not, right? If, if the whole team really agrees. I, and if you don't get another applicant, why would you wait? Um, so I, I think the answer here, it depends, um, but you do need to make sure that your interview panel is diverse in the sense of, it's not just those people who know that person that worked with someone, right. But also can provide with unbiased feedback. Is it actually the right hire? 
Uh, and as long as you do that, I think it's absolutely fine. Okay. Um, and I think it also depends if um, on the question, if the person applied for the job or if you wanted him to or her to apply, right? Uh, so if you, if you actively sourced or if you, if you got like an invitation uh, or if you got like an, an application from the outside, right? Well, I guess the, the panel would depend, right? If, if I'm actively after someone that I really want to hire, um, then it's not kind of the first applicant that you have. So and if that person happened to pass all of the interviews and agree and accept your offer, then again, why not? Um, but if, if it's someone that you know personally because you work together, there is a certain bias that you bring into a hiring process. So then you need a second opinion and ultimately should probably remove yourself from evaluating directly. Okay, good. Thanks a lot. So um, we slowly have to come to the end. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I still um, see that you, like in a way, um, you seem to be still very technical um, at certain points, right? And uh, I'm, I, I like to ask people for, for a tool that they annoy their friends with. So um, like a productivity tool, maybe also... Um, a process, not not purely like a technical tool, but maybe it's it's a it's a software you're you're annoying everyone with uh, every once in a while. Does that exist? Do you have something you you recommend everyone, um, like be it an engineer or not, um, uh, use this and your life gets better um, uh, straight away? Do you have something like that? Uh, I I I wouldn't know. I think the set of technology that we started using. Uh, for kind of remote collaboration expanded dramatically. Um, I, and again, maybe because it's, I'm in a mixed role of product and technology, uh, I tend to gravitate towards uh, product analytics and ability to access data um, and ability to report on data. So one of the, like, my favorite things to recommend that is free, it's MetaBase. Like if you don't have data warehouse and you don't have ability to, to visualize data or you want to implement something within your product, that would be my tool to go first. And if you exhaust all of those capacity of that tool, yeah, by all means, you can go and explore other things like Tableau and something more expensive. Um, so that is probably what comes to mind with what you asked me for. It's not really like a, a nerdy thing or what I do and your life gets better, but well, it's a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really a hack. Like I, I use Metabase as well um, and, and love it. Um, Because it's so simple, it plugs straight away into your, into your production database. And if you combine it with stitch data or something like that, you get all the data into one place and build like a data warehouse without any effort that would have costed you like half a million um, a few years ago. So I think it's valid. Okay, it's, a, cool. it's a very valid answer. Um, and when it comes to, to, to hiring, um, any, any tools you can recommend? I guess... Obviously, your tool. <laughs> so I skipped that question. <laughs> well, look, you, you don't need to. You don't actually need to pay for uh, for the tool, right? So Smart Recruiters has a free offering, which we don't really advertise. I think often enough, uh, but basically, you can get Smart Recruiters for free if you have like ten jobs um, at any given time. Um, so that would be one tip. Uh, but again, it's kind of a shameless plug. Uh, we use Codility, uh, pretty happy with this. Um, and there's some other, well, it's not for recruiting, it's mostly for actually maintaining code and security vulnerabilities and, and some other. And then um, 
question to the same direction, also to the tool direction potentially. You mentioned product analytics. Um, what what are your thoughts on measuring effectiveness of of engineering organizations, uh, like tools that do, for example, Git analytics? Do you believe in that? I think it's a little bit uh, double-sided, right? So um, amount of code you produce doesn't necessarily translate into the outcomes you produce. Um, so I'm kind of more of a true believer of joint effort of product uh, engineering and design and building the proper triad and thinking about the OKRs that they drive and the outcomes that they achieve and measure it by that. Um, we tried um, kind of thinking about um, any sort of productivity in terms of code commits and code quality, we do that, but I just don't think it's it's actual productivity. Um, it's certain KPIs to make sure that engineers do their job and do the quality job and uh, the certain teams does amount of, uh, of production commits um, and uh, it actually goes to production and there are no more rollbacks. Uh, those are KPIs for quality, but not necessarily for output of the R&D organization. So for me, for the output of R&D organization, it would be actual usage by customers and value by customers, however you can define that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is uh, maybe something where you have to derive to OKRs and so on. Um, it just thinking of like a simple example, I don't know if you saw that Reddit post a few months ago um, from an engineer who said, yeah, I earn 1.5 million per year because I have five jobs. <laughs> and um, I, I think that is something where, yeah, uh, a lot of organizations don't have visibility on, right? Um, and, and then mm -hmm. it might make sense to have that as one aspect in your, in your, um, your whole KPI chain, I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of remarkable of holding five jobs and all five of them are being happy with the with the results. Because um, I think it's pretty evident when one engineer starts having a side gig uh, and there's a productivity dip on certain extent. Now, again, if, if uh, you expect that and you're fine with that by all means, but generally... Uh, there is kind of an average expectation of what, I don't know, senior engineer would do and how deep uh, he or she will collaborate with others and will be able to produce. So, yeah, but uh, quite remarkable, five jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it uh, really depends on the company, um, how, how how deeply they drag you in as a, as a remote engineer, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really depends on them. So then um, I, I come to the closing question. So um, I saw that you worked for an agency, a German agency called Mayflower back in uh, 2009, I think. Um, and I know, actually, I know the CTO, uh, Johann Peter Hartmann. Um, and he he gave me like, um, they are focusing on PHP. So I he gave me like a patched version of PHP that um, they some, somehow internally developed back then. And it has actually a, a hidden secret function called time machine, um, which allows you to just pass in uh, one, one year and you then travel back. And I, I do that and uh, want to jump to the year 2009 when you worked there. Um, and you worked there as a software engineer and um, you can now observe yourself for a while or we can observe yourself for a while. And um, you now have the chance to whisper something into your young self's ear, um, what would be your, your secret whisper? 
Um, well, uh, the Mayflower gig for me was um, something that, like, when I moved to Germany, uh, I couldn't speak German. I went to work full-time. I went to study German full-time, and that was my part-time engineering gig um, of not being a manager, so coming back to IC. Um, uh, I actually uh, I worked pretty closely with CTO, had a couple of interesting interactions around PHP unit and how to uh, how to deal with all of those things. Uh, I don't consider myself being young at the beginning of a career when I worked for them. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it would be the um, the advice for myself in 2009, but rather maybe myself in 2005. And the advice would be um, don't be afraid and actually speak up and do it. Because um, I think the uh, imposter syndrome, especially for, for women, um, is striving and well. <laughs> so you usually find yourselves like, oh, I'm not an expert. I do not know that. Um, and you try to hold back uh, where, like, for example, in Mayflower, there were engineers that had less experience than me and they would go into the conferences and talk about things that they just picked up. Uh, and I had at that time three years of experience and I still didn't consider myself as an expert. Um, so yeah, the advice would be like that. It's just uh, believe in yourself. You're actually good enough. Just go ahead and do it. Go and say and say it. Uh, it's fine. Okay. So that was a good answer. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry for the bad example. <laughs> That's I, I picked, uh, but I, I somehow like the time machine function thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, it was really great talking to you. Um, and I, I hope the, we have the chance again. And hopefully uh, we can also like meet again every once in a while um, when uh, the world is a bit calmer again. I hope that uh, it, it, it soon, like the COVID situation changes and evolves. And uh, yeah, hope to see you soon again. Yeah, absolutely. It was Thanks a, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.